Now, there's a short little snippet of two lines, uh, verses 8 to 10, which we're going to look at and then move on. Uh, and it's all about love. See, if I love well, I'll never break a law. I'll be well within the, because I love well. And so, while it, and he means it here about the Torah, fulfilling the Torah, but fulfilling any law. So, um, owe nothing to anyone except that of loving one another, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Meaning, of course, there, the Torah, but all law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment, are summed up in this one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, for love is the fulfillment of the law. The text says it's the pleroma of the law, which is amazing. Huh? It's the fullness of the law. If you love, you keep all the commandments, and you keep the law of the state. Unless the law of the state is unjust, you see? Um, so, that, the, for he who is loving his neighbor has fulfilled uh, the law, is what the text says literally here. So, he's teaching these people how to live in community within the larger community of the state. And at this time, this is long before Constantine, Christians were considered a nutty break-off from the Jews. And uh, they proved themselves in the second century when there was a, a, a epidemic in Rome. Everybody got out. Even Galen, the great theoretician of medicine, got out if they could afford it. So that meant that but the Christians stayed, whether they could afford to leave or not. And they took care of the sick. Many of those sick, all they needed was a bowl of soup to have some energy and get over the crisis, and they lived. And the Christians, and some of the Christians died from the plague by taking care of them. When that was over, and the Romans all came back into the city, the Christians were held in very high esteem, because they cared for their own people. If my cousin's dying of this plague, I'm out of here. And then somebody else takes care of my cousin, well, how do you think I think of them? or my mother, or my father. So that's what this text is saying. So it fulfills the law in that sense, you see? Uh, and now we go to the last part of this uh, very short chapter, and it's there that we uh, uh, start to look at what I want to talk about as well in this section. Do this then, realizing how critical a moment is that it is already time for you to be roused from sleep. Any Romans out there, wake up. For our salvation is now closer than when we first believed. Now, if this was a class and you were all in the class, I'd say I'll offer a prize to the one who can tell me where this text that I'm going to read now is very significant in the history of the church. The night is far spent. The day is drawn near. Let us cast off, then, the deeds of darkness and darn the armor of light. 
that we may conduct ourselves with decency as befits the daylight, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in debauchery or sexual excess, not in quarreling or jealousy. Put on rather the Lord Jesus Christ and give no more thought to the desires of the flesh. Through whom did that text have a huge impact on the whole history of the church? I'm not hearing anybody. Of course, you're all on the air. Isn't that the text that converted St. Augustine? Yes. He could not get over his sexual excess. Even when he wanted to. For years he didn't even want to. And then that grace came and touched him and that's why he's the doctor of grace. Because he knew by experience without the grace of the Holy Spirit I can't do it. And so that's the grace, that's the secret of prayer. You see? Now, I want to look from there at how all this gets worked out 20 centuries later. The basic thing you have to realize is that every, well, not every, I suppose, but just about every uh, philosopher has acknowledged that the Judeo-Christian principle that um, we must recognize a creator who is the source of all rights is the source of a stable state. There is no other. Once that principle is not acknowledged, uh, then it's chaos. And who rules the state? The state. Those in power rule the state. And, there is, and the result, look at Soviet Russia. Look at Italy until Mussolini died. Look at them. And the leaders of this egalitarian way of life all own seven and eight houses and eight to their fill. And their people are waiting in line to get some food. Power corrupts. Ultimate power corrupts ultimately. The best government, you see, is one, the only government that can recognize rights is one that knows that rights come from God, not from the state. That's absolutely ground principle. You see, Kant wrote, the Republican Constitution is the only one which does complete justice to the rights of man, but it is also the most difficult to establish and even more so to preserve, so that many maintain that it would only be possible within a state of angels. This is because this is uh, the author, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm quoting from a book by uh, Cardinal uh, Dulles, who's dead now. Um, or Jefferson Locke said, men are by nature, by nature, but who's the source of nature? Free, equal, and independent. Or as Jefferson phrased it in the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal. Who created them? Not human beings, God, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. They cannot give those rights away, even if they want to. They can abuse them and try to give them away. Sometimes they do that because they're forced to it by, by uh, threat. Inalienable right, you see. Um, or in Kant's words, they enjoy innate and inalienable rights, the necessary property of mankind. Kant again talking about the effort of coexisting. It suffices that they are there, that they surround him, 
and that they are human beings and they will mutually corrupt each other's moral dispositions and make one another evil without this, you see, recognition. Uh, and so the, the text goes on in the other book. Uh, there are other texts, texts as well. Huh? Um, so you see, a state can never be a good state unless it recognizes the Creator and that all rights come from the Creator. The government does not give me my rights. The government can deprive me of some of my rights, like of freedom. If I shoot somebody, then I, they can put me in jail. But they can never give me the right of freedom that's given to me by God. And you'll always notice what happens. <clears throat> when there is a totalitarian state, there's more poverty than ever before. There's more prostitution than ever before. There's more drunkenness than ever before. It just doesn't work. But there are always people who think that they have a messianic call and the only way they can realize it is through violence. Hitler killed 10 million. Stalin killed 20 million. Mao Zedong killed a hundred million people. Why? They were in the way of the great ideal state. Forged, governed, run by me. Just simply on the level, that's why I'm quoting these people, you see, uh, who are not, um, um, who are not Christians or members of the Judeo-Christian view. Locke, though, God, the author of this law, has willed it to be the rule of our moral life. You see, the natural law and this good principle are directed by the will of God. This is the author. Um, this is a wonderful book, by the way. It's called Why We Should Call Ourselves Christians, and it's by um, Pera. Uh, first name, I just forgot. Marcello, Marcello Pera, who at one time for five years was the head of the Italian Senate. So he knows law and he knows politics. And uh, and he's not a practicing Christian, but he's a Judeo-Christian. The foundation of his philosophy is Judeo-Christian revelation. And so, Locke, God, the author of this law, has willed it to be the rule of our moral life. For Jefferson, you see, the gift of God is the same. For Kant, we are bound by a duty which is of sui generis, not of human beings, toward human beings, but of the human race toward itself. That's as far as he can get. But he's, it's not the state which is the source of our rights. That's the point. And so, this was the struggle. And when the Christians became, you know, they were worshipping God, the Father, His Son, and His Spirit, and Jesus, the Savior, they were a threat to the state. How many ways? We go Agatha, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, in the first canon, right? They're all virgin martyrs. They wanted to give their life to Christ as virgins, and their prospective husbands got them killed for it. Why? The Romans saw well, given the way they ran their state, if we start to give women's rights, it's over. 
we'll lose the structure of our state, which is a male-dominated state, and we do what we want with our women. And these little women, they were 12, 14, 16 years old, said, no, I'm not going to marry. I'm giving my life to Jesus. They've got to be killed. Because they are saying that their right to remain virgins comes from a higher law and a higher being than the state and us. And that's why we have so many virgin martyrs. They, they were turned in by their fiancés. Strange, but true. And so you see, we can have many different forms of government, but once we tamper with that last level of the source of all rights, we condemn ourselves to darkness, totalitarianism, murder, and the imposition of the strong over the weak. All in the name of egalite, fraternite, and so forth. But it's always happened. What finally happens is what? The people see it. They hung Mussolini. They hated Hitler. Because it's inhuman to live in such a state. And so you see why the church now must be strong, you see, and say, if, if it comes to this, we'll give up, we'll have to give up our, our hospitals and so forth, um, because we cannot disobey God's law. God's law is the foundation of every stable, prosperous state. That's clear. Where is Italy today? Well, it's a good democracy. Where is Germany? A good democracy. Where is Russia? Così, così. Because they're still trying to reinstate communist rule, which is not democracy. Even when there's a vote, it's not democracy. So I'm trying to point this out because this is very important in understanding chapter 13 of Romans, which we have just about finished. Um, the vision is God's gift of our human dignity. And in that gift of human dignity is the ability to love. And that's the fulfillment of the law.